and welcome to this week's episode of the It's Easy Sun, your life lessons on your journey to your purpose. And today, folks, I, I know I've had a hiatus for a while, work commitments and, and everything else. It, I have to pay the bills somehow. But this work that we do is really about how we inspire the next generation of leaders. And with that said, I want to just say at the outset, I have with me today a soccer legend, a legend in many ways. You know, we throw around the word legend quite frequently today, just, just the way we throw around the word friends. But the gentleman that I have on the show today is indeed a legend, not just who he is as a person, but his body of work and the accomplishments he has had, and quite frankly, the first that he has had in his illustrious career. I had the good pleasure of meeting him in person this past weekend at the United Soccer Association's annual convention. But more so than that, I had an opportunity to hear him give a history lesson on soccer in the United States, and I was totally blown away. I'm a Howard alum. He's a Howard legend. I've never met him before. I've heard so much about him. Our, our mutual friend and colleague, Mr. Bancroft, Banky Gordon, um, spoke so highly of him. And he's just an all-around great guy. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome to the podcast this week, uh, Coach Lincoln Phillips. Coach Phillips, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Gerald. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on your show. And I hope that our listening uh, audience enjoys it. Uh, they will. I, I, they will. They will. Mr. Mike Mac P. McPherson has also told me a lot about you. So I know a lot oh, yeah. of people you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what we do on this show, Coach Phillips, is we, there are no preset questions. I just ask an open-ended question to start us out. And then based on your responses, we will have derivative questions. Now, there are some things that I have prepared based on my time at Howard and based on what I've learned from folks like Bancroft and Michael mm -hmm. and others. And I'd like to weave those in as well. Is that okay? That's all right to me. Sounds like all right. So with that, let's just get started. So here's the first question. Can you tell us who is Lincoln Phillips, his early years, born, born in Trinidad and growing up in Trinidad, the household? What were the foundational things that undergirded who Lincoln Phillips is today? Well, Gerald, I, I was born in St. James, a small town in uh, Trinidad. And um, I was born on the fourth day of July. Uh, oh, wow. That's that America's Independence Day. Hence my name, Lincoln Abraham Phillips. It seems as though my mom, my mother must have known something. But um, that's that's how it started. I had um, had uh, a household of two sisters and two brothers, and um, it was uh, I was I was the youngest, and um, I was not very talented in every sport. Mm. Somehow or the other, everyone seemed to be much better than I was, and in Trinidad. And as in Jamaica, you know, the, the sports come in seasons. Yes. And when cricket season comes around, everybody plays cricket. And if you're not playing cricket, you're an outcast. When <laughs> football comes in, everybody's playing football and so on. So it was in Trinidad. So we dabbled in everything. Uh, we, we played football, basketball, cricket. 
and you name it. And I was an all-rounder. I was good. I was not good in everything. And that was, that was around six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, 12. And <clears throat> frankly speaking, it, 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 it bothered me. It, it, and for some reason, I had the drive back there. And that I took a ball and trained with it all the time, whether it's cricket or basketball. And whenever uh, my, my teammates, we, let's say we had three days of practice, I would practice on those three days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But I'd practice in the mornings too. And then Tuesday, Thursday, I'd practice morning and evening and on weekends. So what, to, what happened that over the years, while my teammates were practicing, let's say, 10 times, I was practicing 40 times. Wow. <laughs> wow. You see? And mm -hmm. it, it paid off because when I reached to be around, let's say, uh, uh, 13, 14, mm -hmm. were all hell broke loose. Because prior to that, I was always the, the last, and I was always one of the younger ones. I always played with the bigger guys. And um, I, I was always the last person to be selected. <laughs> and when I turned 40, 13, 14, I was, I was, I was the first person to be, to be selected in every sport. I, was so, I, I became so good that, that I scared myself. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, so, so that was, in looking back, that was a, that was, that's a, a, an object lesson to young people uh, looking on at the show. It is not how good you are, but, but, but you will. You may have the, 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 the capacity to be a good player, but, but if you don't have the will and the desire mm -hmm. to go on and on and, and, and try to, try to achieve the impossible because the impossible is 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 is, is only impossible because uh, no one has, has achieved it mm -hmm. and so if you if you just keep pushing hard and uh, uh, then then a lot of things a lot of good things are, are going to happen so yeah. that was my, that was my beginning so of and um, if i could uh, ask you this question yeah you just described something that there's a word in there. You didn't say it, but I'm going to say it. Discipline. discipline. The discipline to practice that much harder than your competitors. Where did that drive and discipline come from? Was it internal or was it something mom, dad, the family, it, or just the environment that you were in? Because many you, you have many friends that you probably mm -hmm. were growing up with and mm -hmm. didn't have that same discipline. Right. So, so where did that come from? Well, the, the environment. Definitely, um, we grew up in St. James. We had it was a it was a very diverse um, uh, city. We had a, a lot of uh, blacks and a lot of Indians, and we had Chinese and and Europeans and and you name it. So it was a diverse uh, diverse um, and uh, a culture that I grew up in, and. Um, and everyone was striving, as I said before. I I always played. I was I usually the smallest, youngest, and uh, everybody was better than I was. So, you know, you sort of looked up, mm -hmm. you know, to all these talented players. And I always I always wanted to be like them. And my big brother, in particular, 
I want to be to be like him. And then, then around 12 years of age, you know, he used to take me all about with him. And then around 12, he started to take me to the the um, first division soccer games. Oh, wow. You see? And then that, that opened my eyes because there was um, my team in our area was called Malvoon. And Malvoon was like the Barcelona, the, the glamour team and so on. And um, Maple was the, like the Germany, the hard nose, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't like them at all. We hated them, you know. Uh, uh, but they had a goalkeeper in there. They used to call the Black Panther. Wow. <laughs> he was all dressed in black. And mm-hmm. for a 12-year-old, sitting down and uh, looking behind the goal, he looked to me, he conjured up images like he just caught this wild animal and uh-huh. it's shaking and rattling the cage. And yes. that is how he, he punks the boat. And man, I love him. I love the Black Panther. And um, and it, as, as luck will have it, you know, uh, we would go home and all of us would emulate all the, all the soccer players that we liked and so on. And I was a Black Panther. Wow, wow. Yeah. And um, the first, ta- first game we played at 12 years of age, I told my mom, they all heard me about this, talking about this Black Panther and so on. So she got, you know, the, the flower bag comes in, you know, that white uh, yes, cloth yes, and yes. numbers uh-huh. marked all over it and so on. Uh-huh. She took that, boiled it, all the numbers came off, and then she dyed it. And she got a white jersey and she dyed it. Okay? I was all black. <laughs> I, got, I got a pair of socks, black socks. And, you know, I was a black panther. And then <laughs> I went out, and that game in particular, at just before the halftime, rain started to pour. Man, you should see black water all that. Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was funny. And, 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 and I was the Black Panther. And it so mm-hmm. happened, you know, uh, that when I grew up, I eventually played with maple. And you know what? They called me the Black Panther. They call you the Black. So your team, your team was Malvern? Yes. So when you went to Maple, did, did they, were they upset that you did that? No, no, they, 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 they weren't upset, you know. Um, uh, uh, I wanted to go to play with me, um, Malvern, but I was going to play at center back. Oh, okay. And I injured my foot. And my games master at Queen's Royal College told me, he said, Lincoln, you, you're a better center back, you're a better goalkeeper, you know? Oh, and wow. then I was playing other sports and so on. So the way I played center back, I couldn't really play all the other sports. So I, I, I took his advice and went into the goal. And Malvern had a fantastic goalkeeper. Mm. And Maple had a great team. But all they were missing was a goalkeeper. Yeah. And that's where I went because I wasn't going to on any team to sit down on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Did you, did you was, guys did you guys play your did you play your games in, in like in and around the savannah? 
Yeah, in in the Savannah. That was, in the that Savannah. Was, that was Wembley, man. That was Wembley. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're probably wondering how I know that, right? I used to live in Trinidad. Oh, okay. For two years. Just two years, yeah. though. Just two years. Okay. Had a wonderful time down there. Had a wonderful time. But, yeah. but I, so I want to go go back a little bit. So school and you know you became you you obviously you you went on to Howard and all these kinds of things. So academics and so on. And you were a big recruiter, and we'll get to this in a minute, of Caribbean and, and, and African students coming to Howard. So for you, academics, what was that like? I was, uh, I was an average student, okay? Somewhere around, around, 10, around 10 or 11, I, I got lost, mm. you know? And I had some gaps, you know? And that is the time at, at 12 years old, they have a, a 12 plus exam uh, where the whole country, you know, they take this exam, it's like an SAT. And the 10% of, of uh, the top 10% will go to Queen's Royal College and mm -hmm. go to Fatima, go to these prestigious schools. So obviously, you know, I didn't make it. Mm. You know? And uh, it would not, that I was was uh, not a bright student or, or whatever, but I don't think the, the the teachers were able to teach me the way I learn. You know, people have different yeah. learning styles and so on. Mm -hmm. You know, my learning style was a little different, so so they weren't able to to reach me, and so I got lost there for a while, and um, all of my my friends my. Uh, who played in St. Crispin, that was the primary school, they, they, they went on to Queen's Royal College. Yeah. And I did not go. And um, but because I I was playing so well, they decided Queen's Royal College decided to 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 offer me um a scholarship, a sports scholarship. And so Very that's nice. how I eventually ended up at QRC. No, that's a great school because when, when I was living there, it was three schools they talked about a lot for males was QRC, Fatima, and St. Mary's. I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those were the top three. And you guys yeah. had some very, very interesting rivalries. Like, I think Shaka Hislop and Kona Hislop they went to St. Mary's, right? That's correct. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. and then Brian Lara went to Fatima, I believe. Yes, you went to Fatima. Also. You went to Fatima. So my memory is still there, Coach. I, I had yeah. a wonderful time in Trinidad. So QRC, did you just play soccer at QRC, or did you play multiple sports there? Oh, I played cricket, man. I played cricket. Now, when I went to QRC, it was cricket season, mm -hmm. right? And um, I I did everything. As a, as a, I, I bowled fast, I would bat, I'd go uh, wicket keep. But Derek Murray was the wicket keeper. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, so I decided that I'm not going to rival that, you know. Uh -huh. And, and uh, so I eventually ended up opening batting and opening bowling. Wow. You see? And um, I was, you know, quite quite good at, at, uh, at, at both of them and a very good season. Even got called to, to Trinidad trials at, seven, wow. at 18 years of age. Yes, I got called called the, the, the trials. But um, I, I eventually had to give up cricket. 
you know, because it was it was a lot of clash, a lot of demand, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, then when the football season came around, now originally I had gotten, although I was the goalkeeping for one of the first division teams, that's before I went to Maple. I was uh, goalkeeping, and then I was playing centre forward in the second division also. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, all right. So uh, coming into QRC, there was a very good goalkeeper. Mm. I think I was much better than he was, but they weren't going to drop him. Right. Okay. And um, at centre forward, the captain and they had two good centre forwards. So there was a problem there, and I got to find out that um, that the centre back left that that year. So the, the in the newspapers they said that QRC is going to be weak in the defence because so and so left. I said not anymore. I played <laughs> centre back too, <laughs> and so I played centre back there, and, and uh, for the first time ever. And um, I played there equally as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, the following year, the goalkeeper left, so I went into gold. Now, as a goalkeeper, that was in 1960, mm-hmm. right? 1959, I played stopper. 1960, I was in gold. So mm-hmm. the next year, I went to play for Maple full time as a goalkeeper, and so. I was a modern goalkeeper even back then because my foot skills was was just as good as any outside player. I was a right. player. Right. Uh-huh. And now, now, now you have the goalkeepers they're insisting that the goalkeepers be able to to play the game and so on, and and that's a new fashion. I was doing that back in the back in the early sixties. You yeah. use a word. You said modern goalkeeper. So you were a man ahead of your time. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and not that it's because I I happen to play all the different positions because in 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 the Caribbean when you know everybody plays everywhere and every sport. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so so that gave me. But nowadays, you know, you have a lot of goalkeepers playing goalkeeper all their life, and so their foot skills are not, and they, they they're not. As good as your outfield players, you know. Right. Yeah. Like in things like getting off the line and reading plays and moving yes. into position, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I was uh, back there. I was. I was. I was outside a penalty area, not like how they do it here uh, with the modern goalkeepers. They get in there and they pass the ball, short pass. And no, no. I was purely a defensive, um, like a sweeper. I would and any ball comes through. I would, I would intercept it, fake it, knock it to the top. Not, not knock it around like they do now, but I was more on the defensive side. But reading plays, mm-hmm. uh, the balls coming through and, and anticipating and so on, you know, that was that was not a problem for me as a goalkeeper because I did it, you know, equally as well as a centre-back. Wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting com- uh, combination, Coach, because... Mm-hmm. You you hardly hear goalkeepers out there playing on the field, right. but nowadays mm-hmm. they have them taking penalties in games and all kinds of stuff because they can kick. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. So, QRC high school. You you get through high school and and what happens after high school? What obviously your talent yes. in sports had to be seen by somebody. 
Oh yes, in in high school, um, at at seventeen, eighteen, you know, um, and the three the three uh, high schools, you know, Queens Royal College, St Mary's, and Fatima. We all three of us played in the first division with with the big men. Yes. Okay, and and we used to beat people. You know, we were very very talented. The three schools, and um, so when it was time to 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 go into first division team, there was no transition. You know, and yeah. mm -hmm. uh, we we just moved in nicely and and fit in right there. And and actually, several of us, you know, we 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 started in, in the teams that we that we went to because. We were seen there playing in that competition and doing well when we were in high school. Yes, you know? yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so we, uh, we, I, we, I went and played for um, Maple. I played for them, and then I also played for them in cricket. You know, um, opening bowling, opening batsman, and um, I had an opportunity to play professionals cricket in England. You wow! Know? Wow! Uh, but one of my one of my mentors felt that I was too young to go out there and so on and and discouraged me and uh, kind of pushed me towards towards um, soccer and basketball. Now at that time I was playing basketball and um, uh, playing first division basketball and just about getting ready to play on the national. As a matter of fact, I played on the national team in basketball first before I made the national team in soccer. <laughs> yes. okay. Coach, so let me ask I, I have to go back and ask you this question Now as you look back and you play the tape That opportunity I, I guess going to England You would be playing club cricket or county cricket Yes Do you regret that? Not at all, not at all Not at all That, that would have been a big deal though, Coach Well, yes It, it would have been a big deal But then you know, my brother gave me some advice. My brother, my big brother, Georgie, he was like, a, a, he was my mentor. And mm -hmm. I was driving, I was about six, 17. And I was driving in the sky going up to a game. And I said, George, you know, um, you know, what do you think I should focus on? And he, he paused. And anytime he pauses, you know, something is coming. He said, young man, I would play cricket, soccer, and basketball, and enjoy yourself, have a great time, and sometime or another, a decision will be made for you. And that was the greatest piece of advice because uh, later on when I, when I, and I played with Maple, I faced down cricket, and I kept basketball. Because what basketball did, it made me a goalkeeper of a different kind. You know, I could mm -hmm. catch the ball. Even with one hand, I can catch the ball. You know, and my leaping power, leaping ability was fantastic. And all of that came as a result of playing basketball. So, and then soccer, uh, as we started to... They play on the national team, and we started to to make tours and so on. So, I would say in in high school and in 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 in, in the, where I grew up, I got the roots in St. James. That was my roots, playing in the streets and all of that stuff. 
Okay? And then at, at high school, Prince Royal, that's where my talent started to blossom. But when I went to Maple, I, I played with some older people and, and, and really mentor-type persons. And I saw them, you know, the respect the coaches had and uh, uh, the players had for the, the coaches and so on. And then after two years of Maple, I joined the Trinidad and Tobago Regiment. Oh, wow. You're right, right. I, I did see that. Yes. Yes. How did and you fit that, that in? That's, <laughs> you were a busy well, man, Coach. Well, after, after I left Maple, you know, the uh, Trinidad and Tobago Regiment, uh, they had just Trinidad had just um, got its independence at almost the same time as, as um, Jamaica. Yes. And um, we had the Jamaica Regiment with all the West Indians and so on. And when, when Jamaica got the independence, um, and Trinidad got the independence, those of uh, 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 Caribbean folks in the West India Regiment were given the option of, of either staying in the Jamaica Regiment or coming to Trinidad. And uh, so we had a young regiment and they wanted to, to, to start a, a sports program. So I was one of the first um, young sportsmen to go into the army because Usually, whenever you go into the armed services as a as an athlete, you will die out for whatever yes. reason. I don't know. And so when I went in, you know, playing for Trinidad, playing for uh, on the verge of playing for Trinidad in in soccer, playing for Trinidad in basketball, and uh, and and on trials for cricket, I was a prime recruit. Yes, and so I, when I, I so. <laughs> yeah, so when I went in, and uh -huh. um, I. I really didn't go in uh, voluntarily, you know. I was kind of, I was kind of forced to go in, you know. <laughs> because, Who forced uh, you? Who forced you, mom? No, dad, my dad, my father, my father. <laughs> you know, um, that's a story in itself. But uh, when they were recruiting, uh, one of the one of the officers was a referee, a big time referee, and I was going down to see us in my show one night. And he stopped me and he asked me, you know, that time I'm working in a sports store. I'm getting twenty dollars a week, and I'm, I'm, I'm good. You're good. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Back yeah. then, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Back then, I'm good. And he asked me, "What am I doing with my life?" You know, um, and I, you know, I really couldn't answer the question. You know, and then he kept asking me about what I like to do, and he realized that physical education, you know. Is 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 probably a good thing for me, you know. He said, uh, "Have you ever thought of joining the army?" I said, "Me, no, <laughs> you know, not me at all. You know, with a gun and all that stuff, you know." And he says, uh, "Well, you know, they have a young army, and and they, uh, if you if you if you become one of the top uh, soldiers and the recruits, they will send you to England on a physical training course." Because mm -hmm. we need to have uh, physical training instructors, you know. So I said, well, I have to talk to my dad about it. And knowing my dad is not going to send me down to no army, right? Yeah. The next day, the officer comes to speak with my dad. He looks sharp as a tack. Uh -huh. <laughs> a uniform. Oh, my God. <laughs> he looked good. He looked good. And then when he told my dad, I, I still... Not I don't, I don't want to go. So yeah. my dad, after you guys left, 
I said, Dad, what do you think? He said, join, join, boy. <laughs> <laughs> with, 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 the, with the full Trini accent, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I felt I was betrayed by my dad, you know. He said, <laughs> I, I, he was supposed to back me up. But uh -huh. it turned out that that was the best thing that had ever happened to me. Mm. Because when I went in there, they looked to me as, uh, as someone to start the program, the football program. So I started everything. I was a coach, captain, everything. And then I played cricket and then basketball. We That first year, we were the champs and everything. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then, then I got an opportunity to go on the PT course in England mm. at Hampshire. And as far as leadership is concerned, I understood what becoming a leader was all about. And it, it, it really happened from there. And when I, I spent six years in the army, of course, we won everything in football and basketball, you know. And um, when I came to the United States, okay, I had the entire package to take me, take me to, uh, to where I, to like Howard University and professional teams and so on. So that was my tale. That was my tale of um, of Trinidad, and not to mention while I was in the army, we we played um, uh, uh, for the national team in the Pan American Games, and we won a bronze medal there, um, beating Argentina and Colombia, and that's where the scouts from the NASL uh, in 1967. They offered me a contract, and I came to the United States in '68 to play for the Baltimore Bees. You went on from the Bays to the Darts, and that career that you you had for in terms of soccer here in the U.S. really took off, didn't it? Well, it, it, it took off, but you know, as, as I said before, um, I had the whole package in, in the regiment. I, I became I, I became mature as a person mm. in, in the regiment. And I, I, I got married to my childhood sweetheart, Linda. And um and we had we had two kids very early. Okay. And um so I became a father, you know, and a husband. And um when uh, that was uh, going to the United States uh, to pick up a, a professional contract. That was a huge, a huge, because I had it made in the army. Okay. Yes. But, you know, I, I spoke to my wife, you know, and and she she supported me. She said, go for it. You yeah. Know? And you, so you, I, you, I, I took the lead. You got to the base in, in like, is that, was that 68, I read? Was yes. Was that 68? Yeah. yeah. And what was that like? Uh, going through the regiment, learning, going to the PT course, you know, kind of maturing, as you said. Mm -hmm. how, did that, how did that transition from Trinidad, the UK, and into the US? What 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 was different, and how did those experiences kind of set you up? Because in my humble estimation, from there, things just kind of took off for you. Yeah, yeah. I <clears throat> it was um, it was a transition period. Okay. And as you know, all transition periods are met with a certain 
type of indecision, you know, for you going from the known to the unknown, you know. And um, uh, fortunately for me, I uh, I met the team in Jamaica. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In March 1960, uh, not March, February 1968. Okay. And when I got there, my mind I, I was blown away. When I reached into the hotel, like the guys that morning, they, they usually go for a morning run. And then after the morning run, they'd have practice at nine o'clock, uh, 10 o'clock, 10 to 12, and then two to four. So I reached in and I saw all the guys in, in shorts, you know, and all these white guys, you know, with some big thighs. I mean, the calves were big and defined. And it, it just, I, it blew my mind, to be honest yeah. with you. It blew my mind. And I thought that they were so much better. And I was fortunate to have to have played a tournament in Jamaica the month before. Oh, and okay. I met I met uh, uh, the, the Welsh brothers, Art and Asha Welsh, you know, and they were on the team. You know, they were on the Baltimore Bays. And um, I asked them about these guys. And, and they told me, he says, Tiger, he said, them not good. You better than them. <laughs> he said, when we go outside on the field, you're going to see what I'm going to do to them. <laughs> and when we went out of the field, he put the ball through those guys' legs. And I mean, he said, Tiger, that one is for you. And he gave me, those two guys, Welsh brothers, gave me all the confidence I needed. Even when we were running, you know, they, uh, I shall come first second and uh, I, I would come to it and sometimes I would be lagging and they'd pull me and you know so I owe a lot uh, owe a lot of art and Asher Welsh mm -hmm. and um, uh, the, the new coach came in they sent home a few people one goalkeeper they sent home but they kept me and um, a strange thing happened when we went to the went to the United States they brought in another goalkeeper guy named Carmelo. Mm -hmm. He was a Spanish um, World Cup goalkeeper, but he was old. And I sat on that bench for 25 games. Oh, wow. And not that, I mean, the team was losing, but it wasn't because of his fault. But I knew I was a better goalkeeper than he was. Yeah. You know? And the coach was, was a great guy. Coach was a mentor of mine. And... Um, uh, I would talk to the players on the bench from the bench and he would allow me because he realized what I was saying made a lot of right. sense. So I was like an assistant coach. And um, and then I remember one time we were, we went to a banquet and he introduced me and, and he talked a lot about me and so on. Oh, then the players like me and I train hard in, in spite of the fact that I didn't play. And when my turn came up, I said, you know, I said, the coaches, you know, make all the decisions here. But if he made a mistake and put me in that goal, I'm not coming out. <laughs> That's right. All you want and, was a foot in the door. And so that that happened. Yeah. When I got in that goal, they saw a different type of goalkeeping. And uh, because of the basketball skills and all that, so I, I was different. I, I wasn't like the normal run-of-the-mill goalkeepers, you know. Yeah, you were you were exceptional. And 
I have to ask you this though. We skipped over this. The nickname Tiger. Mm -hmm. Where where did that come from? How did you how did you end up with that nickname? <laughs> well, uh, when I went to Maple, I was all black, the pattern, the black panther. Oh, and, that's <laughs> and, and 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 the I was playing um, on the national team, and we played the first World Cup game we have ever played. Okay, I had on my black outfit, and I think that just changed the rule that you're not allowed to wear black. Oh, wow. Only the referee. So I had to change my jersey. And eventually I put on a, a, a yellow, black and yellow stripe and so on. And every, one guy named Guy Corby started calling me the tiger. <laughs> okay. and, and, and it changed. That's how it changed. <laughs> of course, isn't that funny? That's how Caribbean people are. You, you probably don't know someone's real name, but you'll know their nickname before they're oh, real. Yeah. Government name, so well, that's <laughs> that, good to know. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That's quite true. So, 1968, you go to Baltimore Bays, and mm -hmm. then this is a part of the interview which gets which is going to get kind of exciting for me. 19, I believe it's 1970. You ended up at Howard University. But there, there was there was a little gap before that. Mm -hmm. Okay. The North, the North American Soccer League, that was the full professional. Oh, okay. okay. And then there was a semi-professional league playing, played in the fall. Okay? And mm -hmm. players who played less than 50% in the North American Soccer League were eligible to play in the American Soccer League. Oh. So my coach recommended to the, to the Washington Darts that I be coach of the team. And so I went on to the darts and became the first black to coach a professional team in the United States. Yes. Yeah. So and, and kudos to you for that, coach. When I heard that last week, I, my heart was full to yes. know that a, a, a gentleman from the Caribbean was the first one here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. to do that. that that's very mm -hmm. impressive. Yeah. And uh, thanks a lot, uh, and um, it so happened that uh, when I got there, they had about, they had, um, let's see, they had about three black, uh, about three black players, two black players on the team, right? And uh, when I saw the team and I saw the toughest team in the league, New York, a team from New York, I told the manager, I said, listen, I have two players from Trinidad that, you know, if we get them up here, Nobody could beat us. So I brought up my brother-in-law, Victor Gamaldo, and halfback and center forward, Jerry Brown. And they did not disappoint. They were just prolific goal scorers, and we won the league. Wow. That first year. And I became coach of the year and, and uh, I made the all-star team. And then the following year, I, I, I brought in a couple more, couple more, uh, uh, couple more guys. And uh, he was killed. Cole came in and played played um, played for one or two games before he left, you know. And um, and then the third year, which was nineteen, the, the uh, fall of nineteen, not fall, the, the summer of nineteen seventy, the team ended up with eight black players on it. Oh wow! <laughs> and three white players from Scotland, and you're talking about nineteen seventy. Now, you would hardly see any black players on the team. You may see one or two. We had eight. 
And yeah. we just run the hell out of those teams. We, we introduced a new style of football in the United States at that time. It was, it was a fast break, a fast break football. We didn't have no pushing around to half backs and all that. When we got the ball, we had guys on top who could really run, two wingers, you know, and we'd hit the ball down in the corner, bam, and across, boom. That's, that, that, that was it, you know. We, another teams were coming up to the half line. As soon as we got it, boom, in behind them. <laughs> you know? and, um, and in 1970, the North American Soccer League, uh, we, that, was the, that was my last year. And by chance, I was doing a clinic. You know, I always like to do a lot of clinics and all my players, I had them doing clinics and so on. And um, it was a clinic for the um, uh, handicap, Special Olympics. And there I met the coach, an old American guy named Ted Chambers. Mm. And he was, he turned out to be my number one mentor. Right? And he saw me and he said, where did you learn to play soccer like that? And I told him where I was from. He said, well, I coached at Howard University and that was a Saturday. And he said, uh, I would really love for you to come and do a clinic, you know. I said, uh, when you practice, he said, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I said, I'll be out there on Monday. <laughs> and when I went outside there, and I'm, I'm a professional coach. I, I ran them and they, they loved it. And the players said, why don't you ask the coach to be, you know, to coach the team? And I said, but to get to coach on, on, on the college level, you had to have at least a, um, a bachelor's degree. Yeah. I was in college. I had 32 credits. And um, Dr. Anderson, he was another great guy in my life. He told uh, Chad Chambers, you be the coach. Let him, let me be the assistant. And I'll coach the team. But on paper, he's the coach. And right. so that year, 1970, we beat up everybody. Yes, and sir. And went straight to the finals, but lost. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, that, that stretch of time and that 1971 team and all of the victory and the recent documentary on ESPN and all of that, what was so special about those teams? Well, the, the, um, the, 19, the 1970s team, you know, um, that was the time that Howard University uh, just decided to be, to give scholarships for sports. And I came to I came to Trinidad and I, I recruited a guy named Alvin Henderson. You know, Dr. Dr. Henderson. And he was he was just great. And we had some some good players there and so on. And but a Michael Jordan type person just dropped in my lap, just like that. Guy by the name of Keith Akwe. Mm. Where was he from? Keith Akwe was the fastest soccer player I have ever seen run with a soccer ball. Wow. And he came up to Howard to, to go to law school because his brother was in law school. His sister was the, the dean of law, the, the law school. And he didn't know, he didn't even know they had a soccer team. And passing by, he saw, saw the guys and he came and he asked. And we had already selected our team. Thank God I, I, I never turned anybody away. When 
he was the fastest thing, and he was one. Him, uh, uh, Keith Apwe, and Alvin Henderson became the two best strikers that college football has ever seen. Yeah, I've heard and, of uh, Henderson, but Dr. Henderson, but not Apwe. Where, where was yeah, Apwe from? Was Apwe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so we lost in the finals against UCLA, and. As it would have it, um, uh, we lost because I did not make a, a, a substitute in time. Mm. I did not change the goalkeeper when I should have changed the goalkeeper. An error on my part, being there for the first year, I, I kind of asked the guys, you know, uh, who they prefer, you know, and and uh, they, they preferred the, the senior to play, and 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 he gave up some some really bad goals and that was a lesson for me mm. okay there's an old saying that sometimes you win sometimes you lose but i picked up a new one sometimes you win sometimes you learn yeah you know so my losses from then on was never losses there was always a learning something i picked up why we lost that yeah. day yeah and so 1971 rolled around and I picked up some nice players. I picked up a really nice, two nice goalkeepers. You know, one from Eritrea and the other one from Ghana. Mm. And, um, and we marched on, man. We marched on and, and uh, we we didn't lose a single game. Right. We tied one. Tied one. But mm. we just blew everybody away. We went down to the Orange Bowl. Now, I was the type of coach never rested on my laurels. I always look to see, you know, who I need to replace, who's a senior and so on. And I was told that Jamaica had some of the best players in the Caribbean under the high schools. Mm -hmm. And I was given the names of Keith Tullock. Yes, sir. <laughs> they gave me, um, who is it? Keith, Keith Tullock, um, Mario McLennan. Okay, yeah. and uh, Bertram Beckett. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, who's the other one? Who's the other one? Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, four, four, four of them, right? And so we arranged while we were playing in the finals in '71 in December in Florida that we will go to Jamaica from Florida <laughs> yeah. as a team. And so we toured Jamaica in '71 and. And had some good games there. And, and then we, we played the youth team. Man, when I saw Bertram Beckett jump in the air and head a ball, man, it was poetry in motion. Oh, <laughs> he looked so sweet, you know? And then Mario, Mario was a smaller guy, you know, left-footed. And he was like a pit bull. He hit some tackles that I loved, you know? <laughs> and then I had, then there's another one, but... Uh, Tullock. Now I had center, I had a center midfield named Ian Bain, tall, half white, light skin, you know, but mm -hmm. very dominant, right footed. And Tullock was his left footed twin. Wow. I mean, excellent. You know, so I was I, I, I get I was getting ready to sign these guys. But there was a little left winger in the corner. He dribbled. Everybody on the soccer, Howard soccer team. I mean, he was like Messi. 
His name mm. is Richard Davy. Yes. <laughs> you know, they used to call him Real Kill. Yes, yes. And I went into the dressing room and I asked the coach who is Winston Chung, a good friend of mine. I said, yes. Winston, who is this little number 10? He said, he pointed, this little guy. I said, that little guy? He said, yes. So knowing how good a player he is, obviously he's not going to have any passes. Yeah. I said, do you have any passes? He said, yes. I said, how many? He says, nine. Wow. <laughs> what what are they, you know? He said, physics, chemistry. <laughs> oh my god. I said, you want to come to Howard boy? <laughs> <laughs> he said, yes. I said, yeah. uh, uh, fill out this form. Fill out this form. <laughs> <laughs> and I I brought up, I brought up those five guys from Jamaica. And that was for the 72 season. That's another story in itself because that team improved. The 71 team improved by as much as 60%. Wow, that much. Oh, God. They were, they were really, I mean, with those guys, those guys, our defense was, was just dynamite. Okay, the, the defense that played in, in, uh, in 71, they were now. They were now on the bench. Wow. <laughs> yeah. They were now on the bench. Starters, bonafide starters were on, were on the bench when these guys came in. You know, they were yeah. so much better and there was no argument. There was there was so much better. And so, so the, the, the former the former the players that were there, they recognized the talent as well. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Team yeah. picked the team picked itself, you know. So that 1972 season. That team was 60% better. So it seemed as though we were going to have a dynasty. And that is where the problem began. Started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is where the problem began. Because the 72 team, the teams that we, we beat in 71, 2 to 1, okay, 1 nothing, they got 12, they got 9. Wow. They got 8. It was, you know, and those were good teams. We were so much better in in every department. We were extremely strong. As a matter of fact, when I, we were going to the finals, I had an interview uh, in the on the television, and I said, "The only team that could beat Howard is Howard itself." See, I don't see anybody beating us, and that's what happened. Yeah. Yep. Do you think the problem started, Coach, because we uh, Howard was, was just too good and we couldn't have an HBCU performing like that? Exactly. Exactly. It was uh, at that time in the 70s, um, um, early 70s, uh, uh, St. Louis was the big um, NCAA champions. And then in our area, we had University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. We had the Naval Academy. You know, we had George Washington American University. In that area, who was who was just kingpins, you know. And then here came Howard out of the blue in seventy, and we beat all of them. Right. And then in seventy one, we just we just mashed them up. 
and and guys didn't like that. So guys started, you know, um, complaining and we had professional TV, professional players and it's not fair and all of that stuff and so. So as you look back on that that period in time, I mean, the, the ESPN documentary kind of went through quite a bit. But as you as the coach and someone just here talking today, what lessons will, would do you, because you said out of everything, you don't lose, you learn. Yes. What yes. lessons came out of that for you? Um, never get, never, never be defeated. Mm. never be defeated never get frustrated the black person must never when you get frustrated that means you don't know what you're going to do Okay. Right. and I told my players we changed that word change it to challenged okay and when you're challenged okay now, now we're going after and I would always have uh, no, no an interesting thing, I had to do courses for my bachelor's degree, and I was in some of the classes with my players. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they get, they have A's, and I, I'm struggling there with a C and so on. <laughs> yeah. So that was humbling, you know, but <clears throat> I allowed them to help me academically. I mean, drove on the bus to trips and so on. And that turned out when later on the players told me that that was that was uh, they respected me more than ever for that. Because of the humility that you showed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't choose it. It just happened. It just happened to be there. <laughs> Excuse me. And um but when we go on the soccer field, I was the PhD. <laughs> That's right. Because during that time while I was coaching at Howard, I was also playing professional. And the players would come and see sometimes we would be playing against Santos, Pele, and a lot of these teams, and the players would come and see me play. You know? So mm -hmm. they had that appreciation for me, you know, and uh, I was better than them, you know, as a professional player. So we it, it was like iron sharpening iron. Right, right. You know, we help, and and plus, you know, my I was married, had two children, a, a wonderful wife, and I, so I, I, it was a it was a good example to all the players. And my wife, you know, she was a tremendous cook. You know, and when those guys leave Jamaica and and Trinidad and these and they get a good Indian meal, they 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 will always remember. So I think that she played just as important role in the team because when 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 young people leave Caribbean or, or Africa, they, they they feel lonely. It's a lonely place, you know. Mm -hmm. And she was like she was like the mother figure. Yeah. 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 So, coach, during that span of time, I believe between the seventy one seventy two. And I think you won it again in 74. Yes. And you you retained it. So you were named coach of the year twice. What mm -hmm. did that feel like to you? Because that's no small feat in Division One soccer in the United mm -hmm. States. That is that is a that is the prestigious recognition and honor. But to mm -hmm. you, 
How did it make you feel? Uh, vindication um, that I have arrived or I'm garnering the respect of my peers? What, what, what was going on for you after all that you went through 71, 72? Well, it was not a, to be honest with you, it was not, it was not a big thing. You know, mm -hmm. they made a, uh, I interviewed and, and they say, what is fees like? There was your first black, you know, and I said, well, you know, I, you know, I, it, it's, it's, it's nothing to me, really. I'm, I'm a good coach, you know, and um, if, if, if black people can benefit from it, fine. But I don't see any big thing about choose black this and choose black. That doesn't phase me a bit. Mm. You know, I said I'm good at what I do, you know, and I just happen to be black. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> you know, coach, that's interesting because people in soccer in America, just like last weekend, yeah. um, there is this thing about the first this and the first that. And I will be honest, I'm a Howard alum and Coach Moultrie, you're good. You told me out there your office was next door to Coach Moultrie's office. Yes. Yeah. But um, you are absolutely right. When when we do something, the recognition needs to stay. But for me, talking to you about it, it just shows the humility that you had and why you have mm -hmm. and why the respect of your players is so great. Is that a fair <laughs> statement? It's fair. It's a fair statement. That's a fair statement. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Howard University, the football, the soccer, all that. The philosophy that is Howard University, the Mecca, the, the, the people say the Black Harvard. Um, what was your time like there? A, a mutual colleague, Coach Moultrie, what was that atmosphere like? Because I like to tell people that at Howard University, everything there is all around excellence, yeah. in all that we do. So, so can yeah. tell us a little bit about your, your Howard experience. Well, the, the Howard experience was um, bittersweet, bittersweet, because um, uh, most all I would say most HBCUs uh, athletic directors are either football or basketball coaches, mm. and um, black folks at the time really did not warm to soccer. Mm. They, didn't, they didn't like soccer, and for what reason? Why, why should they like soccer? They're they're no heroes. Right. You know, and it's only when Howard University started winning that we started seeing folks in the inner city, you know, starting up teams and so on. And and Howard University really started that day. But um, at, at, at Howard University, you know, soccer got started in the old days, in the 30s and 40s by Coach Ted Chambers, because the um, the the black immigrants from Nigeria, from Africa and the Caribbean could not relate to soccer and to, to football and basketball. Right. So Coach Chambers, an American, he was the he was a saint. He was a guy full with empathy and and um, and humanity. And he decided that he would start football and cricket just for the foreigners. And so to everybody in school, it was like, you know, football and basketball and the foreigners. Yes. <laughs> you know? And so when I came in, but but the football and basketball weren't winning anything. Mm. Right? So when I came along, all of a sudden, this team is in the news, you know? And um, 
it was it, it was it was kind of a, a jealousy thing with the athletic director. You know, they 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 were happy, but they they wished it was football, American football, or they wished it was basketball. You know yes. that type of thing, yes. and um, the, you know not all the coaches were warm, not all. The, the, the basketball coach um, was was quite warm, you know, um, and then, and Moultrie, Moultrie was like my soulmate. He was my partner. We, we would sit down and he made me feel as part of the athletic department. He mm-hmm. he really uh, that guy, I love him. You know, I, I, he really is an outstanding human being. You know, he mm-hmm. is just full of humanity. He just he just knows what you need, and he goes reaches right into you, and 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 he takes care of you. And uh, even if it's just a pat on the back and or, or just a kind word or or make a joke or or, or something, but he is always uplifting. Yes, always uplifting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we. I have I was blessed to be coached by him and um I will tell you he wasn't coaching us track and field he was coaching us in life absolutely and, absolutely um, we 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 take great honor in in those of us that were able to to come under his tutelage and learn from him we're we're eternally grateful I want to mm-hmm. ask you a question though there's a specific player who is near and dear to my heart uh, who is no longer with us um Bancroft Gordon mm-hmm. Um, how how did you how did you how did Bancroft get to Howard? Did you did you recruit him? Yeah, yeah. How, what was that? What was that like? Because he is a he was a phenomenal individual, academically gifted, athletically gifted. Played six sports in high school, and he's at Howard and, and all. What was what was that like to coach someone like a Bancroft that is a like yourself? I, he was like almost a carbon copy of you in terms of sports and multiple sports and tenacity. But Banky was 18 when he came to Howard. So he was, he was, he was a, a young man, you know, mm-hmm. but um, Vincent Chung, you know, who was uh, one of the coaches that I had a great deal of admiration for in Jamaica. Uh, <clears throat> he told me about, <clears throat> about <clears throat> Teluk and, um, you know, I'm I'm sorry because Banky Banky's passing kind of um, it kind of got to me a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, afterwards, he told me uh, that there's this guy named Bangkok Gordon. He said, uh, he said Filippo, he, him nice. <laughs> he said Filippo, you will like him. So once. Winston Chung says, he's my kind of player. I'm ready to sign him on a full contract, sight and see. So I went down to Jamaica and I have my little boxes I take off, you know. And <clears throat> he was he was living with his grandmother, I think, no, his aunt. His aunt, yes. Mm-hmm. Aunt, yeah. You know, and as, as he explained to me later on, sometimes when you have several children, you know, you send two here, two here, and so on. So here. When I went in there, the place was dripping with love. Nice little place. She had us, she did tea for us and so on. And, and then I asked, um, you know, I asked Bancroft, I said, what, why do you want to come to Howard? 
you know, he said, well, I, you know, I um, have a, a lot of, I want to go to law school. I want to be a lawyer. I said, wow, that's good. So sometimes people say, I want to be a doctor, but they're not, they, they can't do science or they're failing in science and all that right, stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, but you want to be a lawyer and, and his grades are way up in the air. I said, why do you want to be a lawyer? See, because in school, everybody comes to him to solve problems and so on, and he solved their problem. So he wants to go to law school, to, to come to Howard, to come back and help the players in Jamaica. I said, that's my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my man. He had he had a goal, and he he had a, he had a purpose, and he had a passion. So when passion and purpose clash, yeah, expect expect a miracle. Indeed. And when when he came to Howard, you know I I've never seen him play, but when he came to Howard and and he ran out onto the field, man, he he just run good. You know, just <laughs> you just you just know he's a good player, you know. Yeah. And he's playing center back. I play center back, right? And I stay at home. Bancroft is playing at center back, and off he goes. And I'm shouting, Bank, Banky, go back, Banky, go back. I'm screaming at him. Second game, screaming at Bancroft. But as he's running back, he's doing me like this, you know. You know. <laughs> down, you know. But every yeah. time he runs out of the defense, it's not risky. Yeah. You know? So, after a while, you know, I, I learned a lot too coaching at Howard, you know. I, I learned to leave players alone, mm -hmm. you know. And what I used to do after a while, uh, just before we go out, I'd go to the players and say, guys, you know, don't forget, you know, so on, so on, so on. Go ahead. Don't forget so and so and so on. When I reach the bank, I say, Banky, play it as you see it. <laughs> he, he, he was that exceptional player as a freshman. But something happened in his freshman year, which he he used to tell the story all the time. Okay? Where he grew from boyhood to manhood. Mm -hmm. We were playing up at Davidson Elkins up in West Virginia. Beating this team handsomely, two to nothing. And somebody called him uh, a, a nigger and spotted him. And he ran after this guy. I'm glad he didn't catch that guy because he probably would have killed him. Mm. And they put both of them off. But the guy who called him that was not a good player. Banky was one of my best players. Mm -hmm. And two minutes into uh, last five minutes, the other team scored two goals. We went into overtime and they won. And I came into the dressing room and I, I said, Banky, we lost, you lost the game for us. It is your fault. You were so um, selfish. You satisfied your ego and left your team. And that was Sunday. Monday morning when I reached to work, he was about he was at my door and he said, Coach, I said, I'm not here to apologize. I said, Monkey, you know what a tent pole is? I said, that tent pole stands in the middle of a tent. And when we move that pole, the tent will collapse. Mm -hmm. You are my tent pole. You must understand 
where you are in the whole scheme of things, who you are. You cannot afford to be missing. Mm. He said, coach, I understand it will never happen again. And he went on to play so well that the guys in his sophomore year, everybody knew that that was the captain of the team. Mm. He was he and Ian Bain were the two best captains I have ever had in my career of coaching. Bank of Gordon. Yeah. May, may, may his soul rest in peace. A, a very good man. He started something at Howard I learned about as well, Coach. Um, when he had his scholarship, when he came up, he was so brilliant academically. I think he went on to an academic scholarship and gave his athletic scholarship so others could come. Well, I, I yeah. Well, um, I don't think he gave it up. What what happened? That uh, um, we were allowed seventeen full scholarships, and we were only getting nine. Mm. Okay, but the athletic director decided not to increase the amount because we women. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, yeah, and so. It's a good thing I had the, the um, vice president of student affairs, Dr. Anderson. He looked out for us. Yeah. And he knew exactly what was happening. He said, wait a minute. <clears throat> Nearly all the players on the team have three-point averages. Uh -huh. And he instructed the uh, financial aid people that as long as we get three-point, they'll get um, a, a, a tuition scholarship. Mm -hmm. So that was... That was the reason why the, the tuition scholarships were, were given to these. And so the additional money was able to go across to the other players. And that's how we, we remain competitive. Well, Coach, you put a blueprint on it because um, there are a lot of doctors and lawyers and business execs all across the United States that came through that program. Yes. And, yes, uh, indeed. You, you have left a remarkable imprint on it. So let you you were at Howard for 10 years. I think you left in 1980. 80, 80, yeah. 80, 81. 81, so yeah. What, 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 was, what was next for, for Doc? Um, I'm going to call you doctor now because all the stuff <laughs> that you're sharing, it's, you, you, should, you should have gotten an honorary doctorate somewhere by now, right? Well, I, I have an honorary doctorate from Trinidad. From Trinidad. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. we, we need but, to work on the one in the U.S. because. Nah. Uh, 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 just call me coach. That is more than any doctorate. <laughs> coach. Okay, coach. Uh, coach so what uh, happened? That, what after Howard? What happened? Because now in what I learned last week, you know, when I was doing my research and everything, and just luckily I was out there last week, and to hear how you were, you know, what we say in the Caribbean, fetid by the United Soccer Association, and then to hear your contributions to how the Black Coaches Association was started and how Lauren Donaldson was involved in all of that. So between 1980 and 1881 and to where I met you in person last week, can you tell us what, what happened in the life there and, and how did your impact become so far-reaching in American soccer? Well, after 80, you know, that was... Uh humbling period, okay? Uh, 
no, no, no college wanted to hire me. Really? Yeah. No college wanted to hire me. And professional soccer had, uh, had just sort of died. So I had to rely on my camp. I had Lincoln Phillips Soccer School. And it was that camp, I had it for 25 years. And uh, it was it was voted one of the top five soccer camps in the country. And what I did with my players, I used to do a lot of clinics with them. So 90% of the staff uh, were, were from the uh, from the Howard soccer players. And we produced from Howard County, where I live, some of the best soccer players on the youth national team. And it came from the Lincoln Phillips Soccer School, which... Wow. They coach, the, the coaches, Ian Bain and Bancroft Gordon and, you know, uh, Alvin Henderson, they were there showing the kids in the 80s, you know, the technique of the game and so on. That's what young players need to be taught, the basic technique of the game, you know. And so uh, we started to, to develop a lot of outstanding players. Now, in the meantime, okay, other other schools saw that Howard University was um, recruiting heavily from um, the Caribbean and from Nigeria, from Africa, and then everybody started doing it. Right. Clemson, who we beat beat up badly, one the one year we played Clemson, and they had one black player on the team. And two years later, they had one white player on the team and the rest of the players were black. <laughs> you know? And that the, so Howard University, now and then you would see on teams, maybe one Jamaican or African or something. You never see five or six. And so Howard University started that trend. Mm. And the players knew it. You see? And now those players started to Graduate. Now, Coach Chambers and I were the only two black folks used to be used to attend the convention. And then all of a sudden, one year I saw 15 black coaches. And I said, okay, let's form a, a black coaches association. And that's how the Black Coaches Association was formed by the, uh, these ex-players, you see? In addition to that, uh, Walter Chisovich, who was the director of coaching for the United States Soccer Federation, he invited me to become a, a staff member on the United States Soccer Federation coaching school, mm -hmm. right? And he invited, he had a fantastic staff. He had, you know, different people from different backgrounds and personalities and so on. And um, we went around doing A license, B license, C license, all over the country. And so I was, you know, one of the staff that a lot of people liked because I I wasn't scientifically, you know, grounded. I, I was just a natural and mm -hmm. I was down to earth, you know. And um, so my name got spread around there and so on. And um, so then I started coaching uh, coaching high school. 
right? And that was a, another humbling experience. This team that I coached, a, a team called Petersburg High School, the team uh, won about four games in four years. Wow. <laughs> what? The first day I saw them play, it was, it was, oh my God. But they had three good players on the team. So I organized them and, and we did well, but it was humbling. You know, we, they, they, you know, we, we got beaten and so on, but we won a few games. And from there, I, the, I got, I got into a high, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? A private school. And mm-hmm. then it was, it was even more humbling. And <laughs> so I coached the soccer team and, you know, we, we got beaten, but, but, the kids learn to play and uh, teach them about life and so on. And so that was a, for four or five years, that was a humbling experience until one of the professional teams, Baltimore Bays, another version, hired me. And I started off there, won a lot of games and so on. And then the, the, the league folded and another one came up, Baltimore Comets. Yeah. And um, I I wasn't coach of that team, but I was a senior player. And um, and so, and during all that time, we would do a lot of clinics all over the place. We, we, all our players could coach, and that's my style of coaching. And I gave them latitude to, 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 to coach, to go outside and coach and make decisions on the field. So, you know, during that time, it, it, it really influenced me as a leader. Uh, to as a as a good leader, you you you've got to get good players, but you got to also give them that latitude to be created. And Bank yes. of Gordon started that. He yeah. started that with the had the Jamaica Nuts. He took that yeah. over and all of that. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, this conversation I told you we, we are we are beyond we are beyond an hour, which is fine. But see how easy these interviews go. But I, have, yeah. I do have question um when you think about your growing up playing the sport of soccer mm-hmm. then you playing the sport of soccer mm-hmm. you then coaching the sport of soccer and now you're here with all of this knowledge and wisdom about the game the licenses all of this type of stuff what in your mind has changed in the game from when you started out uh, you said at 13, 14 years old, it just took off for you. But now that you're more seasoned, what is anything at all changed? Is it or, or you hear all of these things from the learned talking mm-hmm. heads that the game is so much faster? And is that true? Well, yeah, the game is faster. And nothing has really changed in the game. The game has not changed because the game is still played on a rectangular field. <laughs> yes, it has a halfway line. It has a circle, and the goals are eight by eight. You know, and mm-hmm. the, the the fouls are basically the same. Okay, so the game hasn't changed. Um, the, the style has changed a bit, and the the style is 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 how you advance the ball, and how you defend. Uh, you know. Yeah, you defend a certain style. Some play the short pass, some play the long pass, and so on. So it 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 changes from era to era. You know, you may have is a standard. You have a minimum of three players in the in defense, 
a minimum of three players in the in the middle and a minimum of three players on top. So uh, sometimes you may have four players behind or you may have five, you know, based on how who wins the World Cup uh, and the, the player different style and so on, it changes from that's the style changes. And it's it's much faster now, okay, because so much it has gone from very, very skillful in, in, in the 70s and 80s. It has gone extremely skillful. Now it has gone to be very, very athletic. Mm. If you can if you can run all day with a, a certain amount of, of skill and technique, right? Mm. You can make it in, in the in the EPL. You know? There, there, there's there's a lot of focus on uh, on, on on running and, and and fitness and so on. So the game um, now that the coaches have taken over the game, the the players don't have even from youth. All these youth teams have a licensed coaches telling them what to do. Yeah, the great dribblers in the world, nobody taught them to dribble. You know, they, 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 it was like second sense. Yes. You know, you can't teach those things. And you have, you don't have, now that you have coaches teaching, you see, they, 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 they're teaching the players what to do and players are losing their, that creativity. The messies, every team had a messy. Yes. You know, true. And, 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 and a messy or two or guys could really dribble and so on. But um, but now the the Messi's and the Ronaldo's and and uh, and 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 these guys are just uh, one one or two in a team, you know, in a in a league, you know. So the skillful, the art of skillful football is is dwindling a bit. Yeah. yeah. So, coach, I want to ask, who, who, who's your favorite team, professional team, right now? Right now, right now, I like. Um, I, I like uh, Manchester City, you know, <laughs> like man, you know, and uh, the, the coach. Of, of course, it's a reflection of the coach. The coach, you know, is a player. And they all they always say that uh, uh, great players don't make great coaches. That's not true. Yeah. Not not because you're a great player. That means you'll be a great coach. But right. but but if, if 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 he knows he knows exactly how a player feels. He knows what to tell them. He knows what to say to them. He knows when to back off from them because he's been in it and yeah. he has a good head. So he he gives the players, to me, he gives the players a lot of freedom, a lot of latitude, and that's my style. I like I like, I like Pep styles. But I, I, won't, I don't talk about my team that much because my team is Tottenham Hotspur, but, you know, I'm sticking with them, coach. I've been with them from the days of Esvaldo Ardiles and Glenn Hoddle and... Yeah. Got Brooks and no got Crooks, sorry. Yeah. But you know, they it's a hard they have teach me, they have taught me patience. <laughs> well, you know, uh, hot spurs, I I would I wouldn't hold that against you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, coach, as we as we try to wind down, I want to ask you a couple of philosophical questions to wrap up. Then sit on the um, yeah. As you look today, the young people that you see, you're you're around a lot of young people all the time, coaching and guiding and one, leading. One, yeah, one second, one second. Uh -huh. 
Yes, go ahead. Yeah. You're around a lot of kid, uh, young people coaching and leading. And uh, what words of encouragement and positive reinforcement could you provide for the young people you see today that are coming up? Soccer is growing. Uh, there's a young mm -hmm. man uh, that I've come to know over these years. Uh, his name is Gregory Simmons. Mm -hmm. He's a former Howard player, and he has started his own academy, uh, futsal, Doing very well. Andre Virtue is another one, another gentleman that I've met. Well, mm -hmm. Also another guy from Howard who has the Ballers Soccer Club back home in Jamaica, uh, my homeland of Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And they are producing all these wonderful, well-rounded, skillful young people. Mm -hmm. But given all of your interactions with young people, what, what are some words you can share with them for, for this audience that you could share? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm glad you asked the question, okay? Education. We have a tendency to want to play professional soccer and we forget our education, but academics and athletics are compatible, mm. okay? When you go to play professional soccer, you have all the time in the world, and this goes for professional players. You have all the time in the world to study. I did it. I play. I coached college. I played professional, and I went to school. I did sixteen credits. I had time on my hands. So, we must not, especially players of color, we must not forget our education. Mm. Okay, and teachers, especially in the primary schools, once these once these guys start playing, playing well, and they look like they're going to have a life of soccer, make sure they read and understand, mm. comprehend, and count two things. Read and comprehend, write, and, 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 and count. Because even in mathematics, mathematics uh, is it, explained in, in, in words. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So yes. reading is a foundation that we cannot allow our young players to be lacking in. Okay? Read. Let them read. Let them read. Let them read a lot. Stay away from the television. It does your brain. Mm. <laughs> That's, it, 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 does, it does your brain. It, yeah. it, you, you don't, you, you lack creativity and imagination. You know? But um, make sure that they have good study habits. Make sure they have a certain time where they sit down and they, 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 they do their work. Study habits are very, very important. And if you can instill that in, in the young soccer players coming up, okay, get that degree, play, play a high level of football, learn to count, be an accountant, know how to spend your money, know how to make wise decisions. You know, uh, that's the biggest advice that I could give to anybody. And that's what we did at Howard. You ask any Howard soccer player and they'll tell you, okay? I told, I tell them they have three things they're going to be facing in college. Academics, soccer, and social life, okay? Take two. Take academics and take soccer, okay? The social side is going to come. Don't run after it. I'm not saying don't be social, okay? But don't run after it. Because if you run after it, it's going to take away from the two. 
Yeah, well, so well said, folks. You know, it, I've been in higher ed now almost a quarter of a century. And what is very interesting to me, just this yesterday or this morning, there's a young, talented football player, it, just, it seems, that is in Jamaica and he, he can't get his visa to come to the U.S. And I don't know the details, but I'm a big advocate in saying to folks, you have to start. It, it, the way how the sport is now and the competition in the NCAA and soccer is grown and all this and, and the number mm -hmm. of scholarships that a coach can give, you have to put yourself out there where you are not only athletically gifted, but you're academically ready as well. Absolutely. Sometimes it looks like that message doesn't hit home until too late. Yes, yes, yes. We have we have a, a huge problem with that in the Caribbean and, and Africa. And Africa. Mm. You know, the players get exploited and 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 teachers, teachers, frankly, cause a lot of that problem. You know, the the sometimes the teachers tell the parents, you know, you it, Johnny is, is 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 a good student, but that football he's after is not is not going to get him anywhere. That used to be long ago. The football would not get you anywhere long ago. Right. Okay. Bancroft Gordon is a good is a good example, and all those players who came from Jamaica and Trinidad, it's a good example. They were eighteen years of age. Okay, they had a good education. They came and they didn't have to work. All the fees and the tuition was paid for. And once you get that first degree, you get that academic scholarship. And the next thing you know, you're in med school. Yes. <laughs> you're in med school. Coach Moultrie used to say, sacrifice four years of your life for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. For the rest, for the of, rest of your life. Of your life. <laughs> you know? well, Coach, uh, uh, is there anything that you'd like to share uh, from your vast knowledge of just life and, and lived experiences that I didn't ask by way of questions? Well, to all the um, the the players outside there, you know, you may have the capacity to be a great, a great player, but you're not going to be a championship player if you don't have the will and desire to do what it takes to be a great player and remain as a great player. Okay? The will to get up in the morning while everybody is sleeping and put in those hours. And I've lived that as, as an athlete. Put in the hours. You have to put in more than everybody. You have to do more. You have to, after practice, after practice, when everybody's gone, you're there. You know, some players, they, as soon as practice is over, they just want, they, they're gone. Mm -hmm. The great players, the great players, you'll, you'll see them there after practicing, after after practice, honing the skill, whether it be dribbling or, or shooting or or crossing or whatever. And and that's that's what you have to do. If you want to be a champion, as my grandfather used to say, if you want to go to heaven, you, you got to die. You got to be prepared to die. See, can't go to heaven without dying. You yeah. can't be a great soccer player unless you have the will and desire to do what it takes to be a championship player. So well said, Coach. So well said. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I asked uh, Shaka Hislop has been on this program as well, and he's a Trinidadian. So I had to ask him this question. 
Um, which one do you prefer, Calypso or Soca? Both. <laughs> <laughs> the the Soca Soca is the beat. I like uh -huh. the beat, but Calypso it it is the it's the lyrical content. Yeah, you know, sometimes the the lyrics are jovial, sometimes it's subtle and uh, <laughs> with a good tune and so on. So so I would say. For, uh, the, uh, for Calypso for the lyrics, Soka for the beat. Well, you're going to be surprised. You know who my favorite uh, Calypso artist is? Who's that? Chalk Dust. Chalk, hey, lyrics. Lyrics, yeah, lyrics. Where <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming from? <laughs> and, uh, lyrical content, man. You know, yeah, yeah. That is my guy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to live in Trinidad when David Rudder was uh, uh, the monarch. Yes, yes. And he had, that's when he became the big thing in the, in the mid 80s. That's when I was there. But Chalk Dust is always my guy with his social commentary. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> All right, coach. This has been a wonderful interview. Um, I, I, I can promise you there are a lot of people that are going to benefit from this, just as folks have benefited from Shaka Hislop's um, uh, episode and Hugh Menzies and Lauren, Lauren Donaldson's episodes. Uh, this rich, rich conversation we had here today, sir, and I'm deeply honored and humbled that you know you would you would assist me in, in gracing me with your presence on this podcast. We're 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 close to a hundred episodes, believe it or not. Yeah. I'm a little accountant, but I'm out here doing a podcast, which I still find rather surreal in many ways. Well, Gerald, it's a it's a pleasure because um, you know I have I always have time for folks like you because what you're doing, you you. You're actually giving that information. You're actually coaching. You're bringing information to a group of people that really need it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So, yes, so that uh, we need good coaches. We need good, uh, but we also need good administrators. But we need people who can communicate the the things that these kids or these young people need to do to be uh, to be effective and efficient. And uh, you you're doing your job, man, and you're doing I'm a good blessed. job. Oh, 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 guys, is, is this one day when I when I see you again, when I'm in the DMV again, I'll I'll look you up, and I'll just come and share with you how this all started because people will stop me and say, "Where did this come from?" And I'm like, I, "It's just a man upstairs." And I will lift up I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. There you go. There you go. We're gonna start. We're gonna start preaching in a minute. Yeah. But it is it is really um this two-year journey with this thing and the book um that I that I gave you a copy of. I hope you enjoy the book. It's really I a, will, I will, I yeah, will, I will. It's yeah. really a heartfelt um thank you to Coach Moultrie from me. And I didn't yes. realize that it would have blessed and touched so many people in that in that way. Mm. I just wrote it to say thank you, but like you said, it has God has other reasons for why the book is touching so many lives in so many Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we just spent an hour plus with, I'm going to say the legendary coach, Lincoln Phillips. I'm going to say doctor, you know, even though his doctor is from Trinidad. I'm going to see if I can put in a word or two because Howard needs to give this gentleman a doctorate because what I know from before interviewing him and I heard through just folklore of being on Howard's campus and after campus being around people like Bancroft Gordon and Michael McPherson and to hear the impact that this man has had on their lives is tremendous. 
And I hope something was said here today that touches you, gives you a perspective that it's not where you start out in life, but it's where you end up. But in between that, in between that, life's journey is where you find your purpose in this world. So until next time, as always, this is It's Easy Sun, your life lessons on your journey to your purpose. Until next week, take care and God bless. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. All right. I'll be in touch.